Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, I welcome Andrew Millett to the podcast to talk about RevOps, or more specifically, why and how process and technology is critical to building a scalable startup. Andrew is a former management consultant turned founder who runs Process Pro Consulting. They focus on helping startup companies optimize their processes and technologies to accelerate revenue growth and improve efficiencies, i.e. their bottom line. In this episode, we dig into why technology is not a silver bullet for growth. Andrew also shares best practices around process and tech. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know how passionate I am about process in regard to growth. I think you get a lot of value out of this episode. Also, as a favor, if you enjoy this podcast, please, please, please subscribe. It'll help us reach more founders. Now, on to the interview. morning, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, good morning, Brett. It's great to have you. I know uh, I'm a process guy at heart, so I'm really looking forward to this discussion today. But before we get into it, why don't you give the audience a little bit about your background and, and what you're working on today? Sure. So as you mentioned, my name is Andrew Millette. My company, Process Pro Consulting, we focus on revenue operations for B2B startups and, and medium-sized businesses. So for the most part, we're, we're working with scaling companies, growing companies, companies that are looking to either become more efficient and or get more out of what they have. So a lot of that is technology implementations, integrations, automation, really trying to make sure that their tech stack and or teams and processes are set up for scale. But yeah, we've I've been doing that for a little over two years now. I'm in kind of this consulting services space. And then my background is uh, I've worked in both services, professional services, as well as software. So we tend to see a lot of that B2B kind of staff, professional services, as well as some other some other related industries. Awesome. And before we get there, I'm already going to take us off topic a little bit, but you know, how did you yeah. get started in the focus on, you know, the startup space? What led you to this? Obviously you must've seen a problem or an opportunity, you know, that you guys could, you could help fix. Yeah. I mean, originally it was actually, I was in kind of more of the consulting professional services space, I actually worked for big four firm Ernst and Young. And that's what got me kind of into the customer services space. But I was working with the big guys, right? Fortune 50, Fortune 500 companies. And then I actually had a, a good college friend who had started a software business here in Austin. So I jumped from, you know, my, my joke always is I jumped from a 300 thousand employee company to a five person employee company from a Friday to a Monday and haven't really looked back. So it's, it's, you know, I've both in kind of being a, an operator and being kind of internal and within kind of the startup scene, um, but also serving customers that are in the SMB space. So I've been doing that for about eight years now. And that's really been kind of my focus. It, it's, it's a lot more fun. Um, you get to play across a lot of different departments. You get to set up things before they maybe go awry or before things get too big and complicated. So that's been a big focus of mine and, and kind of where I like to plug in. Awesome. Yeah, we do have that shared path. Mine took a little bit longer to get back to it than yours did, but, you know, moving from more <laughs> of the, the enterprise and mid market into the startup and, you know, I kind of had the same thing. Look, we can make at those larger companies, man, it's like turning the, uh, the Titanic or a large ship to try to get, you know, change and implement. But if you can come down in the startup space and help companies build, right, the right infrastructure, the process. That's right. I was going to say, I think there's a sweet spot too, right? Because there's, you know, those big, big, big projects you see kind of the big firms doing, obviously they're very successful at them. 
Um, but it takes a lot of manpower. It takes a lot of time. As you said, it's, it's, it's a lot to sift through, but you know, also too early, right? Like where you don't really need maybe to, to focus on it when you're just, you know, two guys and a dog or just getting started and, and you just need to get out there and sell and, and get out there and build your product, get out there and do things like that. So we've definitely been exploring kind of where is that sweet spot where you really start to focus on scale and you really start to, you know, kind of grow into that, you know, medium sized business, which is so hard to kind of define. Yeah, no, and I, it's a great point because I'm guessing, and you can tell me a lot of your customers are probably folks that are heading down the path that either got stuck or they're inefficient. So maybe talk a little bit about that, uh, the, the clients that are coming to you, what are some of the biggest yeah. things that you're seeing today and why they're, why they're working with you? Yeah, for sure. So normally it's going to be some, some form of growth that could be created from investment, right? So in some cases we're dealing with companies that maybe just raised a series a large series C, series A, series B, and they have to grow. They were just paid to grow essentially. And so now it's just how do we plan and, and how do we do that? So with that, with that, it's a lot of reviewing kind of systems, reviewing processes in place, reviewing how teams interact and kind of how, how the whole puzzle fits together, building reporting and metrics, right, for the new folks that just, just invested and the new board that, that, that's there. In other cases, it could be kind of, as you said, stalled companies or companies that are looking to change. I mean, we, we were hit with COVID just like everyone else back in March. And I think we've seen a lot of companies shift. And so with that shift, you know, maybe it's new markets, maybe it's a new type of sales process, for example. I mentioned we're in revenue operations. So, you know, we've had teams switch from more of a B to B to C to a B to B. And we've had companies move from, you know, different channels where maybe they were traditionally all, you know, partner channel or referral based, a lot of inbound. Now they're moving to more outbound structures you know, because they're trying to introduce themselves into this new market. So, you know, sometimes it's pivots like that as well that can be, you know, global or like you said, just maybe stalled out and looking to, to change the business trajectory. So yeah, a couple of different reasons why people come to us, but it's generally always that common consistency of looking to grow or looking to scale. You don't really invest in technology. You don't invest in, in improvement and efficiency, really, unless you're, you're looking to grow. So you know, the, the one to 5% growth year over year companies are not the ones right. we typically work with. It's the ones looking to, you know, scale up into the right pretty quickly. Yeah, no, and that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, to, to your point, if you're stuck, you're not profitable anymore. You're inefficient, right? The founder's still in the way. And maybe from, maybe we can take one more big picture question and then kind of dig into your recommendations on how to a, approach, you know, sure. technology. And I think I might have even messaged you offline on this just to get your perspective. But, you know, one of the things that I've been kind of preaching or advocating for a while is the buyer preferences in the B2B world are changing, right? Slow and steady, right? That they don't need to talk to a salesperson. And if it's just common knowledge, they don't want to have to talk to you. It's on the website. And, you know, the opportunity to kind of automate a lot of that up front was, was moving sure. forward. Now that, you know, COVID's hit the pandemics here, basically you know, what started as a temporary for buyers has now become permanent, right? There's not really any face-to-face -face buying going on. And one of the things I want to get your perspective on is I think too many, even the startup companies think too small about automation in the sense of they either grew up with the traditional silos, right? In the B2B sales, marketing, service, success, product, all those things and, and look at it internally. But if you took a step back and said, man, if I could just automate all the non-value added processes, you know, whether that's outreach or those types of things, 
it's, it probably looked very different than today's organization. So that was really a long wind up. To no, the yeah. I would love your perspective on, you know, the opportunity for companies and, you know, if they're starting to scale, you know, how to think about that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. And I think, especially for early stage companies, like having those their profiles or those personas identified is really tough. So what I usually suggest is it's, it's not building one channel. So for example, you kind of made the point of, of why do we need to have all of these steps in place? Or why do we need to have all of these more traditional sales processes in place? The answer may be for most, you don't, but you may for some. And so a lot of times what we see happen is you set up kind of the, the fast path, right? So you have the capabilities to provide content on your website and, and lead a kind of a sales process through just your, your web, make your website a sales tool, right? Leverage your content, leverage all of that to, to sell. Even conversion can happen, right? You see more and more people with their products and software, especially in SaaS, right? Your, your offerings are there and you can actually go all the way through click and purchase. And there's great technology back there from subscription management tools, you know, Recurly's and Chargebee's of the world, right? Some of these like uh, SMB SaaS tools that you can, you, can, you can leverage to connect between your accounting systems, your sales tools and CRM, where you can essentially run that entire kind of marketing through sales process on your website. And as you said, never have to, to talk to someone. Now, that's going to work, again, more for probably your smaller ARR, smaller, you know, subscription contract value products. Um, some of the larger ones, you know, it, it is going to take just a little bit more of the conversational or you're going to have things like demos, proof of concept, proof of value, right? Where inevitably it's just going to take more time, longer sales cycle. So what we normally say is build the process as automated or streamlined as you can so that you can accomplish the fastest buying process and simplest buying process to meet those buying needs that you have, but have the outs, right? Have the, the buttons that can be clicked or the additional communication channels that can happen, you know, if we do need to get a, a account exec or, or, you know, enterprise rep, right? Like brought in and, and kind of have those, those assignments and those channels automated in your, in your backend. So, you know, again, lead assignments can all be automated. Automatic emails can be responded to, to make it seem as automated and quick as possible. But again, having those different channels, depending on your personas that you're selling into. I mean, I think it, it's important to serve both. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I do, you're right. I think definitely not advocating to eliminate the value added touches, but where the yeah. customer's not expecting any, right? This is straightforward FAQs, information, you know, ideally pricing, right? If it's not that sure. and the ability to do it. And so, so maybe what we can do is take a, I was going to say how to do this, but let's, let's give an example. So a lot of the companies I work with B2B founders, you know, they grow, there's a couple of main thresholds. One is, you know, it used to be a million dollars, right? Only what 10, less than 10% actually get to the million dollar mark in revenue. Sure. And then less than 1% actually get to the $10 million mark. And what I found through these interviews is even the founders that have cleared both those thresholds, they stumble at that million dollar mark. And that's kind of arbitrary. What I found was it was they struggled when they had to sell beyond their network, right? So, hey, mm, I'm in a business yeah. or know people for 25 years, I'm going to be able to sell a lot of my product or service 
because I know a lot of folks, but then once I have to reach outside of that is where a lot of companies get stalled. And so maybe we, we can take a step back from, from your perspective and say, hey, I'm at you know, a half a million dollars. We've done a pretty good job of selling into our network. We may have some baseline processes in place, but all of a sudden now we're starting to get some traction. We wanna go from a half a million to 10 million. You know, I would love kind of your recommendation, you don't have to go super detailed, but how you would, how yeah. founders should think about starting to set up that infrastructure to, for a scalable business. Yeah. Well said simply, like the same thing's not going to work for the same part of your, your life cycle of your business, right? Like it's never going to be the same thing. So don't just think you can like rev up or add to doing the same thing. I think that's a critical thing. I, you know, one book that we recommend a lot, you may have had it recommended here before. It's called No Man's Land. Um, it's by Doug Tatum. And it's a little bit more about kind of how do you become from a medium-sized company to an enterprise company. But a lot of the like principles are exactly what you're hitting on here, which is, you know, what do I do to get out of the entrepreneurial selling entrepreneur even selling themselves. So if you're a service provider, it's selling your expertise, selling your knowledge, selling, you know, selling the value that you have, but how do you scale that value out? Um, but it's the same thing with products, same things with, with whatever you're selling. And so to answer more of your, your question though, it's never going to be the same thing. And I think a part of that is processes and a part of that is technology. Um, whether it's, it's reporting and understanding your business, that's where we see a lot of the struggle. So you go from that zero to, to 500,000 and the entrepreneurs and the leadership team, they know everything, right, <laughs> you know, right. I could go, I could, I could go make sure that every data set's right. All of your systems are integrated, build your report. And a lot of entrepreneurs will say, I knew all that already. Right. But it's, <laughs> right, right. it's because they had a, they had a, they had a hold on everything. Right. And, and I think in order to change that, that has to happen. So the entrepreneur has to, pull themselves out of a lot of different parts of the business and hire in expertise and specialty. So the people and kind of who is involved is very important. You start out with a lot of generalists, right? And then you hire specialists and that's what happens as you scale between those different points that you hit kind of the 1 million and 10 million. And then with that comes the requirement for a lot better technology, whether it's automation. So I'm keeping down on headcount and scaling at a, you know, less heads per revenue or, it's even just what kind of data I can capture and how I can capture all that data together. So you start thinking more about like, oh, the CRM that I use is actually pretty important. The sales tools and the enablement that I use are pretty important. The data points that I can capture in all my marketing channels and my spend and you know how, how that cost or the cost of acquisition, like how that ultimately works for my, for my business model and my, my revenue model. So to get all that data, it starts to become a lot more difficult, or you just have to put a lot more focus and investment into your technology and your systems. And so we see a lot of that. So we see the, whether it comes from within, like the internal team seeing it and they're requesting that data, or they're looking for those reports or their you know, leadership's just like, I got to have that. But we also see it a lot from investors, right? The VCs know, um, or the XYZ, whoever you invested in, angel, whatever, they, they know what it looks like. They know what a $1 million company looks like. They know what a $10 million company looks like. They know what metrics are right for your industry. They know what type of reporting you should have. And so a lot of times we get that. We get, hey, we just left that board meeting. And these are the types of things we're going to be expected to report on. And so that starts to kind of create the change. And so it's like, what are we going to have to do to hit that? What are we going to have to do to set that up? 
so that we can actually report on that. So again, I don't know if it answers your question as to like how we need to, to focus to, to scale between those two things, but it's definitely things people should be thinking about is like, what do they need to have in place for that scale or to prepare yeah. to complete that scale? No, amazing. You made such a good point with the data and the reporting aspect of it because, you know, the data doesn't lie. And, you know, in this day and age where we have a lot of the digital and the access points, right, you can get a really good idea of what our customers want and are looking for and make better data-driven decisions. So, but if you don't have a process or some of the tools, it's going to be really hard to get the data to, to think about that. And, you know, I'd love to get your perspectives on this too. I think I'm fairly certain I know where you're going to go, but, you know, a lot of folks, you know, will buy the technology as the silver bullet that will help us fix our problems, sell yeah. more. And I don't know if I've ever seen that actually work, right? No. And I mean, one of the things, I mean, we, we run into this all the time and we, it's a little bit of like a running joke with our prospects and customers, but definitely internally where it's, you know, SaaS, generally where they invest first. So whether you're a founder and you're you're or a salesperson or sales leadership, you're running a SaaS company or you're on the other side and you're buying SaaS technology, you know this. People spend a lot of money on sales reps. They spend a lot of money on sales and, and acquisition. So a lot of times when you, when you start to scale, it's like, all right, let's go invest in sales. That's one of the first things you start spending a lot of money on, especially when, once you found product market fit at least, right? Once right. your product is, is viable and, it's, 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 and, and you're actually starting to, to sell it quickly, you invest a lot in sales. And so what does that produce? salesmen that can do really good job. So they can sell really, really well. They know your space. They know your problems. They know what you're looking for, what features you like. They can do a hell of a demo, sell the crap out of their software. And so what that does for a lot of folks, as you mentioned, is puts that kind of silver bullet, this can fix all my problems mentality. What they don't always do well, especially you know software companies in that SMB space, is the actual onboarding, the actual professional services required to, to complete a successful onboarding, get all of your processes organized, documented, run efficiently so that then you can actually enable the use of that technology or plug into that technology. And definitely on the customer success side, right? Like continuing to use it, continuing to grow the use of the software and make sure that it's, that it's actually being efficiently run. So that administration and, and all the parts of that. And so a lot of buyers, and get what I'm getting at is a lot of these buyers can come to a software platform and say, oh, it does all these things for me. I'm going to buy it. Check mark. I'm done. And that's very far from the truth. And, you know, one of the most frustrating things we see with, with a lot of our customers or just a lot of folks in SMB is that they're spending all this money on software costs and ROI is just not there. All that promised ROI up front is, is not there. And the software companies kind of put their hands up and they say, well, that's you. Our tool does it all, right? But, right. you know, it's just they're not, they're not giving you that full picture of what it takes to fully, fully essentially achieve that ROI of the software and technology. So, you know, what we always recommend is anytime you're going investing in a technology, make sure you have all of your processes. Make sure you understand how you're going to utilize that technology internally define. Don't think that it's all of a sudden going to be created once the technology is here. Like you really have to make sure you have what, know what you have before you, before you implement that technology. And then once that technology is implemented, no matter how much they say they're going to do for onboarding and professional services and whatever package you bought along with that software subscription, you always have to have that internal owner who's going to drive to whatever those goals are, or that ROI that you expect to achieve with the software. 
um, which should be documented up front. It should be something you're tracking to with all of the rest of your goals and metrics. And if you don't really take that true ownership of it internally, it'll never happen. I mean, I think like there was a stat, I forgot where it came from, but 60 or 70% of software in SMB, those implementations fail. Yeah. Or the ROI expected from the beginning wasn't there. So it really all comes back to kind of that internal ownership and really just being able to, to, to drive to it. It's, it's, it's a lot tougher than signing a piece of paper and, and sending it to accounting, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think we make it tougher than, than it needs to be sometimes. And I had, um, when I was in consulting, it was a good lesson and it seems super intuitive now, but the, this company I was doing some work with, they were doing a, uh, a massive change over in technology. So this wasn't in the startup space, but I think the lessons apply and the IT was going to write a big check for an ERP, a new CRM and ultimately e-commerce. So it was a full techno, but before yeah. they wrote the checks for that, they wanted, they didn't, they wanted to validate that the business, you know, had the process and we're doing things the right way to support the investment in that technology. So what we ended up doing was coming in and kind of reverse engineering what the process, mm. not, not what the process is today, but what it should be to yeah. align with the buyers. And when we looked at that, we were able to pull, you know, too much consulting stuff, but business requirements and the technical requirements to align with what that process looked like. And again, it seems so intuitive when we did that, but there's so many companies that don't take that, that step, right? No, they learn in the process of implementing, right? And then they're pissed because they said, well, I thought it was gonna do this and I thought it was gonna do that. And the sales team says, well, you never told us it was gonna do this, or you never told us it needed to do that, or these intricacies that happen in their, in their process. So. It's absolutely true. We see it all the time. You know, I'd love to say we always perfectly come in with our clients right before they're making a buyer's decision and lay out their business requirements kind of is like you explained, but more often than not, we come in on the other side. So the systems have, have been in place for, for a little while and there was some internal, you know, folks doing it usually as a part-time job or if they had someone then, you know, hell, we've come in when they had an administrator and the administrator has been gone, right? Like they're put in there two weeks and they're like, now what do we do? Like, we don't even have all of this stuff documented of how we're using it. And so just even understanding the current state of the systems and, and how it's all set up, it's, um, it's not there for a lot of companies. So yeah, it's, it's totally true. Having your requirements built before and having even having the ROI defined before. So like, what are we actually going to get out of this? And what are those success metrics that we see with this technology? So whether that's kind of done or not done like do I have this reporting can I do this can I not do that or whether it's like efficiency metrics right like I'm going to define my cost my cost per channel or my cost per lead and I'm going to drive that down or you know I'm going to increase sales efficiency or throughput you know by defining and enabling the sales process right so it can be some of those types of metrics as well and, and what we see that the successful implementations generally have those goals aligned before they start. Yeah. So lesson out there to all those founders is take the time on a process. It doesn't have to be super detailed, but really understand what you're trying to automate and why you're automating it. And then, you know, look backwards because to, to your point, I can't, and it's been maybe a year, 18 months since I've actually seen what the, the marketing technology stacks look like in the sales technology. St I mean, it's gotta be 10,000 different software and technology. Oh, it's crazy. Right? Yeah. And, yep. and, and, and most of them are SMBs themselves. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so it, and that's back to my point. It's like you have these companies selling into the other ones. And I mean, it's, it's, 
I don't want to say it's funny because it's not, it's, it's right. just, you can see it as, as the buyer, you can like, you experience things. And honestly, it's been a little bit like we've been able to use it as examples, like for our customers, even where I'm like, well, how do you think your customers feel? Yeah. Like, are you providing that same experience or do they have, you know, so it's, it's been interesting as we, as we serve SMBs with SMBs. Now we use a ton of, you know, we work with the CR HubSpots and, and the sales forces and, you know, the big public enterprise software companies as well. But a lot of these tools that we see, especially ones that are affordable for SMB, we do find that they are also, you know, series A, series B software companies, you know, that are, that are living a lot of the same things that their customers are. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure. Yeah. And I think too, that's probably the biggest lesson is you've, you've got the opportunity to avoid a lot of the mistakes that more established companies and maybe not established, but just made investments in, in certain areas and go back to, cause you also brought up the, the other area point that, you know, people think about once I sell it, it's over, but, you know, really think about that entire customer journey from where they first connect with you to how do I make sure that they're using my technology or my product or service correctly, you know, don't stop. Yep. And again, if you're just the two of you or co-founders are out selling and bringing, you got to start thinking about these processes Cause as soon as you st want to start stepping away, you can't just assume somebody's going to know, or you can't have five people come in and do five different processes. So the earlier you can think about that entire journey, I think the less headache, less expense you're going to incur. It's critical. There. It's critical. And a lot of people think about it too late. I mean, I'll give you an, just going back to the example that I just, I just talked about where you, you're a lot of these software companies are buying software that are sold by SMB. So a lot of people have experienced this. I guarantee anyone here that's bought a, a small to medium size business run or size company, their software, they've experienced this where you buy the software and then you don't hear from them until, you know, one month out from your annual subscription, right, you know, right. being up. And it's basically like, Hey, your renewal still here. Is there anything I can do for you? Right. And it's like, well, that was a terrible experience. Like, no, I've actually been having these problems with your support team for months and I haven't heard anything. Right. Like I would have had to escalate to you. Right. So everyone's kind of experienced that. And most people just chalk it up to, well, they're a small business or I'm a small customer or whatever. Right. Like I shouldn't experience that. But, you know, I think it's one of the biggest problems is thinking about, like you said, the full customer journey and thinking about about it's not just the sale the sale it's not just onboarding but then that value realization and value expansion through the product and the companies that do it the best are the ones that grow the fastest because they basically create two revenue two point two points of revenue right of course there's retention which is critical but there's also just growing your customer base right so as you're building your product and you're expanding your product offerings you know being able to just pitch that to your customers and expand them is way easier revenue than right having to go out and, and get new logos so you know what we see is the companies that focus on that earlier as, as you explained is, is the right way to do it unfortunately more often than not what we see happening is you've got a company that's been growing for a year or two especially between that 1 million and 10 million dollar mark and or three years four years whatever they've been selling and growing and they're like churn is great retention is awesome we've never had a problem but what they don't realize is that they're on year three or four of a company software that is usually about a two to three year LTV. And they just haven't actually experienced the end of that value. And so yeah. they hit that point, that three year, that four year point, and all of a sudden churn just whoosh, 
And that's when they start paying attention. That's when they go hire the, you know, the customer success director. That's when they go hire a bunch of CSMs and start putting a bunch of focus on. And I'm not saying that's not a good way to curb it, but as you mentioned, being more, having some foresight and having some more care with that side of the business, I think one is just going to help you prevent that problem. But two, back to the original thing, give you more ways to sell and, and improve just revenue overall. So it's, it's a great point, I think, and thinking about that customer journey and that customer life cycle early on. It's so important. And you'd much rather work with companies building out than trying to rebuild or right, tear down or reconstruct. Yeah. <laughs> we do, um, but we do, we do help both. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, and it doesn't just happen to like bad, com- you know, it's not like a good no, company, right. bad company thing, you know, it's just a natural thing that happens. And like I said, if your company's software is normally like a two to three, especially when you're serving SMBs, right? SMB is an industry, just as a size, is you, you mentioned earlier, 10% hit a million, you know, a lesser percent hit, hit 10 million. So when you serve SMBs, there's a natural churn. Right. Companies will go out of business. That's just the way it goes. Now, if you're an enterprise software company, that's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. Different but term. for SMBs, there's a natural churn that's just going to happen. And your business is going to be exposed to it and you're going to see it. And you may not see it in the early years, right? But you'll see it year three, year four after that kind of initial growth spurt. So definitely something to, to be ahead of, to predict, to forecast, and, and just be aware of. Yeah, and take, you made such the great point. It's so much cheaper to keep a customer and expand than it is to go get new ones. And you know, I'm starting to see a trend where some of these startups are some of their first call them executive hires or C-level hires or customer success, right? Because we want to protect and learn yeah. from our customer base, which I love that, that idea. And it doesn't make sense for all businesses. But, but two, even going back to where I think some of these disconnects came from, and again, I'm trying to help folks avoid it, is if you looked at the kind of the rise of the tools, right, and the technologies, you know, you could have three or four different databases, right, for you get your prospect Absolutely. data, you get your marketing automation database, you got your CRM, then you got your ERP. And I think what I'm starting to see is a trend back towards, you know, just a single it's harder to do this in established companies, a single look at that customer. And it's not because what happens when you have those four different databases or four different handoffs within an org, you know, your, your customers feel like I heard this term a while ago, a handshake process, right? So, Hey, welcome yeah. from SDR to your sales rep here, you know, meet your SDR and Hey, here's your onboarding person and here's customer service. And they feel like they're working with four different companies sometimes. And you know, I'm just trying to tie back to your point on the data and understanding just make it as seem as super simple to say you know as frictionless as possible for the customers they go through that and i think if you look at it internally first and look at it externally you have a better chance (laughs) no guarantees better shot at it right no it's so important and and it's it's kind of what you're talking about too has like developed i think you know into this whole concept of customer experience right like you see that a lot now right like you know CXOs, right? Or, yeah. or director of customer experience or VP of customer experience, right? And you're seeing that, no, it's not just once they become a customer and after. It's really from the first touch, the first time that they are introduced to the brand even. Like right. some will go that far, right? As to, as to the very first interaction to the very end of the interaction. And regardless of whether this, that individual is responsible from, from end to end, they're at least responsible for defining that end-to-end process. And so 
you know, we do the customer journey. We do the, we do those types of exercises with folks. We, we actually see a pretty nice blend or I should say commonalities between the customer experience and kind of where that concept is going, but also revenue operations and where that concept is going. Because while CX is kind of the front facing what the customer sees, the revenue operations is kind of that unified approach to, to the front end technology. So you're marketing to sales to customer success tools, right? A common CRM, you know, tools that integrate and or are a part of the same same technology. So we see, you know, while we've been more on the RevOps side, customer experience kind of goes hand in hand with that. And anytime we do a customer journey exercise, or we're walking through that process, we start with what is the experience that the customer has from touch point to touch point to touch point. And those touch points are kind of defined. Right. And then you flip it and you say, all right, now that the customer's experience is defined, what do we have to do internally to support or improve that experience at each of those stages? What are the success criteria that we define to exit each of those stages, right? Yeah. And I think when you do it in that order, it helps because most companies are thinking, what do we do? Well, marketing does that. Then we get the lead in. Then we assign it. Then a sales rep goes through their repetition and their steps. Then we close it. Then it goes to a legal. Then it, right? And it's like all of these, that's how they're thinking about it. But if you flip it, I, I think it puts your priorities where they should be, which is what is that experience for the customer? And that handoff process that you were describing, that handoff or handshake, like, is miserable. Like, right. let's not do that. Right, <laughs> let's, not... let's change what we do and, and, and improve that for our customer and think about it from that perspective. And I think it's, it's super important to think about that way. Yeah, that is so good and so true. And I think to your, your point, too, on, yeah, maybe I keep coming back to the data, but Right. When you do those handshakes, yeah. a lot of the time, the data doesn't follow the prospect or the customer and you get asked the same question. I mean, just little things like that. that adds it's terrible. Up, right. Especially if your competition has figured out how to provide that level of experience going through the process. If everybody's equally bad, I mean, it's not a, a get out of jail card, but it gives you a little bit more time. But, you know, there's startups going to start to figure out how to take on some of these larger, less customer focused companies and be able to deliver on a much better process so you're exactly right yeah. it's super important and again it comes back to the where the data is right so a common crm and it also comes down to again what is that internal process of handoff right like if data is captured in the sales process how do we make sure that the onboarding specialist or the implementation person or the cs rep whoever's owning kind of that that relationship after sale how do we make sure that they can utilize that data? You never want to be asked the same question. You don't want to be explaining to a CS or an implementation person four weeks in some issue that you've already done a proof of value for two months ago, right? That was solved. So, you know, sometimes that information can be, it's not necessarily a technology or an information problem. It's enforcing that your CS and implementation teams are actually leveraging the data that's there. And so that's a back to our point earlier about, you know, the technology can only do so much, you know, you, you have to have that, that process in place and you have to ensure that those things are happening, whether it's a handoff document or an internal meeting or whatever, you got to make sure that it's all in sync. And it's such an easy thing to mix, such an easy thing to miss, especially when those teams are siloed, 
regardless of the tools, the teams are siloed and they report into different managers and they have different priorities and, and right. It can become an issue. Yeah. And it does get quickly just because I think even a lot of the founders that I see starting businesses today spent, you know, five to 10 years in the corporate world. And so right or wrong, subconsciously, they think this is the way we have to build an organization. <laughs> and you, you, yeah. know, you really do, again, that we keep harping on it, take a step back and think about it from the customer journey and not worry about who's doing what at this point, right? So the first time to your, you mentioned the first time they connect with the brand or touch the brand all the way through the first time they engage and so on, you know, how, what is the ideal way? One, the customer wants it to happen. Then two, how do we support that internally, right? So don't lead with, hey, well, that's a SDR, that's a marketing, this is a sales, but start to think differently about how to support those customers. I know it's easier said than done, yeah. but I just think there's so much, again, from a founder standpoint, value, right? If you think it's going to help the customer because the experience is going to be better, but two, internally, the efficiencies that you'll gain, you know, back to the bottom line is going to be felt because you're not throwing resources at, at problems, right? You're, you're actually trying to solve it. Completely agree. And how you deliver that value or how you deliver that experience is very different for every company, right? Like right. And I can segment that in a few different ways. Like you've got a software company versus a services company, right? In a software company, your software is, the value that you provide, right? That is essentially what someone purchased. So you have to find ways to enable the software. So that's where customer success comes into play, right? That's where this whole concept of what are your goals? What are you trying to do? Let us help you to use the technology and be successful, right? It's not support. It's not, let me fix this. Let me fix that. It's really driving the success. But, you know, they're services companies. They're very different. Usually in the services side, services is you're delivering the services. Your people are your product, right? And so it could be the same person, right? The service provider can also be the person providing that success or ensuring that the customer's experience is upheld. So then it just comes down to how do you enforce that? How do you ensure that that is happening consistently? Whether that's through predefined activities, predefined reviews, predefined you know, tasks that happen through, through the life cycle. Um, of your customer. So there's that kind of your, 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 what you provide as a product or a service definitely d differentiate kind of how you drive value or that experience for your customers. And then there's also size because, you know, a lot of these smaller companies, they will actually put a lot of focus into customer experience early on, even if they have a very, like your, your ACV or average contract value is very low. They'll put in a lot of, of, of time. They'll, they'll put in a ton of customer success. And while that produces a great experience, those numbers are never going to work out, right, for scale. You just can't. It's too, too expensive. So you have to find ways and, and find low-touch, no-touch, you know, tools, whether that's investing in knowledge base and content, in the best investing in, you know, bots and other ways to organize requests, building out a, a, a good, you know, support system that can escalate to so a CSM pool or, or a group of, of customer success. So, you know, building out a lot of that can depend on, it's all developing good experience for your customers, but how you do it can be very different depending on your business type, what you're selling and how you're selling it, what's, what's how much it costs, right? Like what your model looks like. So it's, you're like, it's like you said, it's easier said than done, but it's, it's, uh, definitely something that everyone needs to be focusing on and figuring out how they can do it for their for their business.
Yeah. Two things I'd like to dig in there a little bit, because I think you, you touched on first is, right, even if you are just a SaaS or a tech company, you know, the fact is you're still probably a services company as well, or at least you should be because you're, you're solving yeah. a customer problem. And if you can't think about how it's solving it upstream, downstream, how it fits with other technologies, you, you may be able to sell it because it's cool and shiny and new, but eventually it's going to get you know, displaced because we, as we talked about it, the 8,000 other technologies in that, that are going to start to work better. So definitely, and I, now I've lost my, my train of thought of where I was going with it, <laughs> but, but definitely around the, the services. And then I think to, oh, to your point on, you know, back to the customer and your average contract size or deal size and, you know, looking at basically try to automate the non-value added process, right? So I think part of there's two, a strategy, right? If you're selling something for $2,000, but it takes 10 man hours and X to be able to sell it, maybe you don't have the right product market fit or it's earlier upstream. But if it is more of a uh, transactional, you know, shit, transactional products are up to $25,000 now, right? In the sense of where people are expecting it. it. I think it was such a good point to think about where you can automate the, then the way I think about it is the non-value added touch points, right? Or both, like the yeah. non-value for sure, right? Like find the things that are manual or that are just taking a ton of man hours and consider about how you can automate it. Good examples of like that are self-onboarding, right? Um, take a minute, get your product, your head of product to, to spend a little time thinking about how do I automate the experience of, of self-onboarding, right? So that could be as simple as, um, you know, a front-facing portal for your customers where they actually get in much earlier right? For a lot of companies early on, they have to do a lot of the setup and implementation internally. So they'll actually uh, say, you know, thanks for buying. We'll be back. You have your kickoff in four days and we're going to do some stuff and then we're going to build some more requirements and then you're going to actually get in the tool weeks later, right? Yeah. Well, consider another approach, right? Where maybe you can actually set them up through a self-onboarding process, right? Gather that same information that's required, but actually get them in the systems and tools. Maybe even turn on some of the functionality that doesn't maybe require their data or things that you can apply. Again, you're driving that value, like onboarding will, the number one metric in onboarding is time to value. That's what everyone measures, right? How quickly can I provide time, some value in the onboarding process? And so what you'll see is you kind of kill two birds with one stone. One, you provide a better experience for your customers, you drive value quicker, but two, you eliminate, to your point, the no value things, which is I've got some person who's emailing a questionnaire, collecting a bunch of information, going internally and configuring a bunch of things, and then coming back to a later date, which is actually so many days out because they have so many of these, you know, on the back burner that they have to get through. And if we could eliminate that or automate that, you know, through, through either our own proprietary technology or other third-party tools, then we're killing two birds with one stone. As I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just the low value. It can be the, those things provide value to, to your customers. Um, so it's, it's just a different investment, right? Yeah. Everyone wants to invest in the products and tools that does the new shiny thing, but sometimes you have to have, and I think larger companies see this, you have to have some internal focus as well on the products you're you're using or or developing um, to to enable those things. 
Yeah, no, and it, it's such a good point. And, you know, I want to be respectful of your time as we're starting to, to close down here. But yeah, sure. you know, I think just in, in summary, I think one, I don't want to scare people to think, oh, my God, this is so hard. There's so many things. I think if you take it simple, <laughs> right, just the main, you know, some people say standard operating procedures for your key tasks. Sure working back from customers and then we can start to look to to automate because if you jump straight to end-to-end -end processes going three levels deep you'll get swamped overwhelmed and not do it and right you won't adopt it yeah you won't adopt it and it's a great point yeah it's it, and, and we'll even say this especially for early stage companies like if you're you know five ten folks and and you're out there and you're you're working on a product or you're not selling your product and you're trying to scale your product and you're trying to find new business probably not the right time to be thinking about efficiency automation all those things because you don't even you don't even have your processes documented and honestly there's that one, just because you don't have your processes in order, but two, like that's not where your time is best spent. So as you just talk about ROI on your own time, go figure out product, go figure out right. marketing and sales, right? You will then hit a point where a focus on ops and a focus on systems and all that. Not again, don't throw it out the window. Don't put in bad practices that will hurt you later. It just, it's not going to be a big investment and it's probably not your top priority, but definitely as you're scaling between some of those stages, as you talked about earlier, you know, it's time to start thinking about it. It's time to start hiring people internally to do it or bringing in fractional support or whatever to start, you know, getting that in order so that it doesn't get ahead of you. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. And, you know, based on time, I'd you know, love to have you back on at some point in the not too distant future to talk. Maybe we can get into yeah, specifics sure. on how to, no, how to attack. But I thought this was such an important topic. And what I'm 86 ish episodes or more into this now by the time this will go live. Yeah. And we, We've had a few conversations with process and automation, but not not as many as I should have. So shame on me for not bringing on more folks. So, <laughs> um, but I'm not letting you go quite yet. I've got the, the kind of the closing two questions to end this thing. But first, you know, start of the new year. What's what's next for you and your team? What are you guys focused on at the start of this year? Yeah. So you know, it's funny we we. As, as service providers, and I think software companies do this as well, but practice what you preach is something we're kind of bringing into this year. You know, we do a lot of process optimization, prepare companies for scale. You know, last year was a crazy year. I think this year uh, we're really looking to enable ourselves for scale even more. So we've actually carved out time from both of our internal employees, as well as, you know, myself and my co-founder um, to actually look inward <laughs> and apply a lot of our same, a lot of our same things in here. So you know, that encompasses several different areas and several things that we want to do for this year. But for the most part, it's like, you know, start to eat your own dog food and, and make sure your your own house is in good order because, you know, we, we do want to scale. You know, like I, as you mentioned, we're entering year three of this business. And, you know, the first year is product market fit. Second year is really starts to grow sales. And third year is now, you know, scale and optimize for us. So, you know, we have to do a lot of that. So that's definitely our theme and kind of focus for for. For 2022. Awesome. We'll use you for as 21. A... We're, we're only, I'm already in 2022. <laughs> we're still in January. We got to give it a little time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll use you as our case study as, you know, moving through those, those thresholds, but it's yeah, so, there we go. so many companies and people, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And yeah, I used to that dog food. Somebody, somebody corrected me the other and said, well, it's better if you think about drink our own champagne. I'm like, yeah, I guess that's good. But oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, that's whatever your probably. preference is, <laughs> the point is, is well taken. So good luck with that. And then lastly, what's, what's one thing you would highly recommend? 
Yeah, well, I already I mentioned the book. I think that's a good one for anyone to check out, especially if you're you're entering kind of that. How do we grow those million dollar companies looking to grow to ten or you know kind of beyond ten? I think that's a great recommendation. But oh, the, I'll give you another one. I mean, Andrew, again, before we it's No Man's Land by by Doug Tatum. Okay. And it's definitely focused again towards the mid-sized company, kind of getting out of the SM, you know, scaling from small to medium and in, into large. But it covers a lot of these topics that we we've hit on, and kind of just the mindset, and that the same people, process, technology that you have today and that's been successful has to change in order right. to to reach the next the next goalpost. Great book there. And then one thing that we're doing, you know, and, and this is something, you know, we started as a remote company pre-COVID. We wanted to build a remote company. We have employees and contractors around the country. That was something that we wanted to be able to provide. Our customers are all around the country. So it, it makes sense. And so, you know, one thing that we've done that's been really important that I've seen a lot of companies doing as COVID has hit and we've been forced to be remote. Maybe this is bad advice at this point because we're already, you know, nine months, nine months, 10 months later. But, you know, we, we do a daily stand-up. And I think it's a simple process that I even did them when I was, you know, in, in office, but uh, having a daily stand up, not for your whole company, but for, for kind of teams, direct reports and making sure that that's highly focused and, you know, actually 15 minutes and you're talking about kind of what are your top priorities, definitely focus on any roadblocks that are in your way. I think it's easy for us to say, we'll just Slack me or throw it into Asana or Monday or project management tool X, Y, you know, go and go and let me know if you need something. But I think especially in this day where we're all disconnected, having that consistent touch point and having those consistent channels for folks to connect, I think is, is super important, especially where we are now. And so, you know, it's been something that we've been doing and, and something that I don't know how we would how we would work without. So, yeah. you know, find a time, make it happen. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. And it seems like a little thing, but right. If you don't do that, or at least schedule maybe daily or every other day, all of a sudden it's three days and four days and five days and everybody starts to get disconnected. Even everybody's doing their own thing, but you lose that connection. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, no, it's, it's been good. You always hear, you hate to hear it, but you always hear the well, I didn't want to bug you, or I knew you were busy, or whatever. You hear that four days too late, right? Right. Um, so you know, a lot of times it's just again, it's it's opening that channel or opening up that time specifically for that. It prevents that. So yeah, that's been a practice we've had in place, and we've seen you know a lot of benefit from, especially you know we we've even had a few of our customers that have taken it on and, and seen success with it as well. But you know, again, make sure it's regimented. It's not a fifteen minute coffee break. Right. right. That's, that's, I think where a lot of companies can, can, uh, can make of it. It's easy to do, you know, have their, have your times for those as well. Right. We, we sure. do a weekly kickoff, we do a weekly wrap. So have your social times, have, have those types of things as well. But yeah, it needs to be structured and to the point. Otherwise it just becomes a time suck. Yeah. 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 No, it's so good and a perfect way to end. So Andrew, thank you so much for doing this. And if, Folks yeah, thanks for having me. want to connect with you, learn more about what you guys are doing. What's the best place for people to connect with you? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn, Andrew Millette. You can find me that way. Also, feel free to email me, you know, if you want to reach out, connect. It's just Andrew at processproconsulting.com. Uh, you got it. Now I'll add that to the show notes so, so folks can easily find cool. you. But uh, appreciate it. Like I said, I do want to get you back on the schedule. We can dig a little deeper into yeah, a couple of to. topics, but I want to be respectful of time today. So thank you. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, you're going to be busy for a while, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Likewise, Brett. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.